3: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people
4: today. Going
3: is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never got home, they never got home. Go home, those guys.
2: I said I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you?
3: Yes. Good lad. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever.
0: There's a lesson that all mega wealthy, super famous sports people need to learn when they decide to take considerably less wealthy people out to lunch. Don't worry about looking like a big shot. Just pick up the bill.
5: It's much worse to look like a big shot than it is to look like your time was. Well. Oh, so you better it. to look like so a British. sorry, oh, yeah. Oh,
0: completely, yeah. Murph, Ken, how are you? Irish I setting cut the podcast. Good, I speak, of course, of the story, one of many great contributions to the Wright Thompson ESPN piece, The Secret History of Tiger Woods. The death of his father set a raging battle inside the world's greatest golfer. How he waged that war through an obsession with the Navy SEALs is the tale of how Tiger lost his way. So that's the headline and the sub-headline. I'll get to the story. This lunch, then there's a story of the lunch which spread throughout the naval special warfare community. Guys still tell it almost a decade later. Tiger and a group of five or six, as in five or six Navy SEALs, went to a dinner in La Pasta. The waitress bought the cheque and the table went silent according to two people there that day. Nobody said anything and neither did Tiger. And the other guys sort of looked at one another. Finally, one of the SEALs said, separate cheques please. The waitress walked away. We were all baffled, says one seal, a veteran of numerous combat deployments. We're sitting there with Tiger effing Woods, who probably makes more than all of us combined in a day. He's shooting our ammo, taking our time. He's a weird effing guy. That's weird shit. Something's wrong with you. (laughs) Tiger, I think, is. One thing that comes out of this article is that Tiger is a bit of a weird guy. Uh, It's interesting that the seals only decided that after he just refused to buy them (laughs) lunch, though. As opposed to the fact that he was actually there in the first place, going through all these... Combat routines, getting punched in the face by other seals, jumping out of airplanes—all all kind of stuff that wasn't exactly advantageous to his golf career. Mm. What did you make of the piece, uh, the Tiger?
5: Uh, very good. Yeah, very very good. Um, yeah, and like that's the main takeaway. I mean, t- uh, it's fine, Tiger. uh you know, appreciate the hell out of the Navy seals and the heritage from which from which your uh, father came, but doing—I mean, doing it once, even one of these little training. You know, days or uh, weekends. Mm. I mean, I suppose. I mean, you're an extremely rich man. You can do literally anything you like. Maybe it might be fun to see how the other half lives. But I mean, to keep doing it over the course of two or three years, multiple times a year, it does seem a little. It's it's well, he wanted weird.
0: to become a Navy Seal. This is this is the detail that really shone through. This that I hadn't considered before. Yeah, you know, you'd heard this pop up and even in the recent Alan Shipnook piece it creates quite a large part of that narrative as well that he got way too obsessed with these sort of training drills, these these really full on situations that he's getting himself into but this is a really well sourced story by Roy Thompson, he talks to, clearly seems to be talking to somebody in Tiger's fairly close circle or certainly his family, Michael Jordan he speaks to, Noda Begay, all these people who don't often speak about Tiger or their friendship with him so he gets a lot of good stuff. And in amongst it is the idea that if Tiger had actually, the Tiger himself wasn't actually as obsessed with chasing Nicholas's record as everybody else seems to be on his behalf. We always assume that he was. But according to Roy Thompson's argument, he would have liked to have got to that 18 or 19, overtaken Jack Nicholas, so that he could have just ended his golf career and gone full into the Navy SEALs, for which he was practicing, trying to get certain basic requirements, you know, getting your... Um, you were a certain distance run in a certain time, wearing those ridiculous army boots and all that kind of thing. But mm. now, don't think any of it helps golf game, Ken. It's probably fair to say. Uh, no, completely. Or destroyed maybe his, his life. His, completely destroyed uh, his life, maybe.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, it just is like one of those you always want, where you haven't got type of stories, you know. And for whatever reason, the winning, you know, being the best golf player in the world just wasn't doing it for Tiger anymore. Um, I mean, I suppose to a certain extent he. You know, there was maybe a certain amount of per- parental compulsion involved in his becoming a golf player in the first place. Obviously, he loved the game, but it was clear that you know, also Earl really loved the game. Um, <laughs> Earl, Earl
0: certainly encouraged Tiger to get involved. There's no doubt about that.
3: Yeah, um, and you know, being a Navy Seal, I mean, it, it's it's interesting the way I mean, Roy Thompson sort of creates this story where Tiger is 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 you know trying to capture the lost the memory of his lost father. You know, kind of almost being more like Earl, in a number of ways, not just the you know, Navy SEAL training, but womanizing exactly. Um, um, yeah, it was, it was, um, it was a fascinating read,
5: yeah, and interesting as well. That, uh, I mean, if you've got Michael Jordan as one of the sources for your story, I mean, that's that's pretty good straight away. If you're convincing Michael Jordan to talk about anyone else other than Michael Jordan himself.
0: Yeah, right. Thompson did that big piece on yeah. Tiger Woods' 50th birthday. Oh, um, sorry, on Michael Jordan's, Jordan's 50th yeah. birthday. so clearly, Yeah,
5: so there's obviously a relationship there. But, I mean, it it it's interesting. You know, Jordan talks about uh, how he, after the death of his father, he basically kind of freaked out and went playing ba- baseball for a year. And, you know, there's a suggestion that if Woods could have just... could have done... It, that the Navy SEALs was Tiger Woods' version of that. Yeah. To just get away from the life that he had... That 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 he had shared with his dad in the ten, inner ten years that he had before his dad died, get away from that, uh, scratch this navy seal itch and then come back to golf. But I mean, it was you know it's he couldn't have picked a less suitable thing to try and put his body through from the point of view of his golf game.
0: Jordan says I think Tiger's tired. I think he really wishes he could retire, but he doesn't know how to do it yet, and I don't think he wants to leave it where it is right now. If he could win a major and walk away, he would, I think which I would imagine is the best-case scenario for his golf career at the moment because he's not going to win any more than... Uh, he's not, he's not going to break Nicholas' record, no. I'm going to say at this point. No,
5: no, I don't think so either. And, I mean, it, it is interesting to hear from, you know, Michael Jordan about how to get past retirement when Jordan did an absolutely horrendous job <laughs> yeah. himself of of going through retirement.
3: It's it's so interesting, really, like, you know, because I mean, I'd heard... I, I don't follow Tiger Woods that closely, you know, I don't, I'm not so interested in golf, but, you know, you hear, like, he's got these injuries, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and you're thinking, how could he, you know, why has he got such terrible injuries? And, okay, now I understand why. You know, he's literally putting himself through this really intense physical training. You know, these these stupid runs, uh, you know, the really, really crazy weightlifting. Uh, for, you know, it's he was sabotaging his own career. He was destroying his own golf career by doing that. There's something really perversely interesting about that. Why would you do it? You know, it's 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 beyond just a, a kind of your average fetish, your average kind of, you know. I, and the I, dad
5: I, thing as well. I mean, yeah. that, that's what kind of makes it like just really weird. You know that that he's created his golf game is created by his dad, and then his dad's Navy SEAL career effectively ends his golf career. Yeah. I mean, it's it's very, very odd.
3: I I, I mean, I can understand, like, his idea. almost Shakespearean. I want to do these things my dad did, you know, I want to kind of, whether he wanted to sort of measure up or whether just, like, doing it made him feel closer, you know, to the memory of his dad or whatever was was driving that. You would have thought that once it became clear that what he was putting his body through was actually ruining his golf career, destroying it, destroying his body, destroying his ability to play golf, that he would have thought... I actually have to leave th- I have to leave off on this stuff Well he
0: did that. there was an intervention of sorts uh, staged by his agent uh, no details of exactly what was said in the, that meeting
3: have come out The agent has a much clearer perspective on this than I think so yeah but Tiger. that was a little
0: bit too late the damage was already done at that stage Munster Rugby has made its move today to stop the rot there Johanna Rasmus is high performance boss with South Africa Rugby he's going to become Munster's first ever Director of Rugby he's likely to bring in at least uh, one other reinforcement to the coaching setup. so the title head coach remains attached to Anthony's Foley, Anthony Foley's name, Murph, but it's hard to see this ending too well for Axel or his backroom team.
5: Yeah, and uh, already the whispers are coming that uh it's going to be, if not quite an all a, a complete clear out, that there's going to be major surgery uh taking place on the Munster backroom team. I mean they don't really have a leg to stand on. I mean the the results of the last couple of years would suggest that yeah, I mean something's got to change. And this the, the, the guy that's coming, Razi Erasmus, hmm. um, would appear, and we'll we'll hear from Craig Ray in a few minutes. But he would appear to be a guy who has very clear ideas about how an uh, an organisation should run, and and to the extent that it's not just he's not just a tracksuit coach. He's, he's got a bottom
0: up and top down kind of yeah, guy. Yeah, he's, he's <laughs> every very facet. much,
5: very much. Uh, Seems to be. Yeah, if not quite a dictatorial role then very much hands on at all levels which i mean the the whole director of rugby thing i mean it appears it appears to have evolved to the stage where it it works in a lot of clubs um that there is a director of rugby and then there, there's a head coach but at the same time i think you need a certain there, there a certain character is required to on both parts as a head coach and as a director of rugby to make it work and it would appear to me that Munster might have two people, neither of whom are particularly well suited to working in a marriage of that kind. Yeah,
0: and it's all well and good there being a director of rugby role, but there hasn't been at Munster up until now. Uh, if it was the case that what Anthony Foley they- came in with, you know, they said, OK, we're appointing our new head coach, Anthony Foley, with our new director of rugby, yeah. er- Erasmus. You're thinking, well, that's interesting. Yeah, but it's, it's not. It's, uh, the what home head coach they- has been doing really badly. It's very hard for them, probably sentimentally, to let him go. So they're coming up with this solution.
5: Yeah, and they've like, what job did they give him a one-year contract to keep doing? And is that the same job now that they gave to him a couple of weeks back when they gave him an extension? I mean, it does seem pretty strange that he got that extension before this announcement came, because you would think, right? Well, just to make sure that everything's in order here, are you happy to take this one uh, this one-year extension with this with, with Disappointment that we've just made. I mean, it does. It seems. It seems a little strange. And the idea of him going back to being a forwards coach after, after having been a head coach, if if that's the rearranging of the deck chairs that Munster want to go down, that doesn't seem like something you could sign up for.
0: We'll get the lowdown from Craig Ray, as you mentioned. Dublin are league champions for the fourth year in a row. They've now won 22 games in a row, isn't it? In league and championship. Yep. Oshie McGonville and Carl Mannion have popped in. Lads, has the form. Uh, over 80,000 people at Croke Park yesterday Including Oshima and Conville um, Did you enjoy the the game or the show more to the point?
4: I actually enjoyed the day I yeah. really enjoyed the day from start to finish There was good buzz about before you we went into the game uh, The first game was To be honest Coming down the road Being an Ulster man Going up to watch two Ulster teams in Croke Park I wasn't expecting a lot But it was it was quite an open game A little bit disappointed with Calvin uh, the main game. The more you think about it, the more I'm astonished by it, because um, Dublin were horrendous for 20 minutes and still won the game by 11 points.
0: For 20, for the, as in for what 20? For a 20 minutes. Sloppy. Probably in the
4: early the second early half. Of the yeah, second yeah. half uh, they were sloppy to give the ball away. Um, there was a lot of things that Jim Gavin and his management team were not happy with. Cluxham wasn't happy with. And yet, still, we're talking about them winning by eleven points. Yeah, and you're talking about a Kerry team who, I think, on the day, threw whatever they had at them. Now, that wasn't a lot yesterday. Um, but I'd be I'd be worried for everything else. I really would. And honestly, Owen, sometimes you just got to look. You got to take a step back, and you got to say, you got to ask yourself, what's the difference between this Dublin team and the Dublin teams that have gone in the past? All that hype and all that. Media attention and all that sort of thing, and you got to say that Gavin is is an integral part of all that. But yesterday, when I watched Cluxton uh, how unhappy he was when there were three points up and Philly McMahon was doing his own thing, Dier McConney was doing his own thing, nipped in the bud straight away. Two boys off the field. You're bringing on players who are gonna, you know, add to what you've already got so on was, the
0: field. Cluxton was roaring at those
4: boys. Well, he was, he was roaring or, at McMahon, and then he got Mick Deegan onto the field. To get him to go and get uh, McMahon Conley. had a word. Oh, I mean, the were remonstrating. Look, it was hot and heavy. Right. When you were, It was it was really hot and heavy. And uh, he went on to the field, and the next thing, McMahon was off the field. You've seen what they've done to Bernard Brogan. They've cooled his heels before a couple of times. Yesterday was Conley's, uh, Conley's opportunity, their opportunity to get Conley off and McMahon off. And it's the standards that they're now setting. For so themselves. you're saying
0: Cluxton is essentially influencing... The, the, these kind of
4: decisions. Well, I, I imagine Cluxton's an integral part of everything that's going on. Yeah. The first time I ever seen anything like that was if you remember the documentary they did on Living with the Lions, and it showed Martin Johnson in the meeting with with McGeehan and and your your other boy, and uh, you know he was an integral part of of what they were going to do, but also picking the team and all that sort of thing. I imagine that Cluxon has some sort of say in what's going on there. But again, just to go back to it, it's the standards that they're now setting for themselves that are so seem to be so much higher than everybody else. And even though they were going to eke out a result yesterday, that wasn't good enough for some of the players. That wasn't good enough for the management. And if you consider own right, I, and, I, and I know this for a fact, having watched the body language after the game, that when you when you look at what uh, Dublin did yesterday to Kerry. And they're going away unhappy with yesterday. I mean, that's a scary thought for everybody else.
1: Yeah, we've spoken before here over the last few years about the ambition of that Dublin team ever since 2011, when they won that first All Ireland. And I've always seen it in some of their senior players; they're not the the Dublin players of maybe the, in the 90s or in the 2000s. You know, that enjoyed a bit of the limelight. that were maybe doing their own things, were going their own solo runs, playing individually. And Cluxton and Jar Brennan, who's now retired, and the older players like that are driving that team on. Gavin acknowledges it in the in his interview post game, like, you know, this is all player driven. And as Ushin says, yeah, I would think that the senior players are definitely the ones setting the standards, possibly influencing the team, uh, how it's been picked, uh, and pointing out to Gavin when the lads are stepping out of line out of line. Uh, it's it's actually just remind me of something when uh, Dan Carter was doing an interview there, uh, on Irish uh, media recently. He mentioned about how there was a certain type of player if he was in the dressing, he would be picked out straight away. I can't say the term here, but there was no none of them allowed in the dressing when it was it was jumped on straight away. I would say that if that has happened over the last few years in this Dublin team, because of the fact that the the older, more serious players are the ones running that dressing room that's nipped in the bud straight away, and it doesn't get in the way of their ambition uh, to win Moral Irelands and to be uh, this uh, force that they are.
0: Is that letting Kerry off the hook a little bit easily, though? I mean, as you say, Dublin played awfully for about 20 minutes. It was a real sloppy period, and even after the sending off, actually, Dublin took a while to uh, really put the foot on the throat there. And yet
4: Kerry allowed the game just to ebb away from them in the last ten, twelve they minutes, not it? They didn't do. have any answers, at one, That's the only mm. thing. And and when you look at it, when I look to their bench, I mean, James O'Donoghue, uh, Anthony Maher. Really, who else is going to come in and improve that team? Um, the the thing about about Kerry well, not necessarily
0: just sorry not necessarily just who you bring on, but you know they can see two five to a point in the last ten minutes they know every team knows Dublin are going to do this they're going to come on strong and I know obviously especially with a man less you're probably maybe you're too tired actually to implement your game plan but is the time to go ultra defensive not the last 10 minutes as opposed to the first half which is what happens a lot
4: yeah, possibly. Um, but we, it's difficult to go ultra defensive whenever you're three points down. You <laughs> know, <laughs> <laughs> I gotta do the maths there. We just hold <laughs> <laughs> what we have here, lads. And lose yeah, like lads. like three if points. if if you th- uh, know like if if that's gonna be good enough for Kerry, that's that's yeah. worrying. You know, for everybody else. But uh, from the Kerry point of view, I just thought. Yesterday, when you look at their team, the balance—there's something about the balance that is not right. And when I'm I'm standing. You know, you're standing, and you're—I'm you're, sitting there, and uh, you see him with Morris standing in the sideline. And the only thing that he can think of doing is putting Kieran Donaghy a full forward, which we have seen. You know, we've seen that before. Brian Sheehan into the middle of the field, no le- not No legs, but very difficult to get up and down the field. If you consider the switch that Dublin made at that stage, they took Dennis Bastic off, who was covering a lot of ground, and put Michael Dara McCauley on, who is run, who was running at you consistently. And David Moran and Brian Sheehan were just completely overrun at that stage. Brian Fenton was awesome yesterday.
1: Yeah, like that was the one thing that the Kerry team of maybe two three years ago thought they had on Dublin was the midfield area. Uh, and Fenton showed it in the All Ireland final last year where he basically got to grips with David Moran uh, around the middle. He showed it again today, like he was outfielding Moran on occasion and basically he was running midfield yesterday. And once Kerry don't have that foothold there and to be able to drive the momentum in their team from the midfield area, they're, they're not going to be able to break down Dublin, uh, especially when they are used to Donaghy now. Like I know Rory O'Card is gone. But they have dealt with Donaghy in the last couple of times they played Kerry, and that ta- that tactic is not going to work against this open team.
5: Yeah, I think that uh, certainly yesterday was very sobering from Kerry's point of view. That, as you said, there's not a massive amount of improvement left in Kerry. I mean, this the the normal caveats that you have about a league final where, you know, it's say if it was Donegal yesterday, if Donegal had play played as meekly as uh, as that yesterday, there is kind of a thing in the back of your head where. You know they're probably still looking at the first round of the Ulster Championship. It's still a much bigger game for them than this league final. As far as Kerry are concerned, they really needed to win this game. They're not going to play again until a, a real game until mid July. This was a this was a game where Kerry gave everything. At the, you know, it's, it's not that you can say that Kerry are holding something yeah. back and here. They, and they
0: were supposed to be nursing the grievances from last year. Yeah. And, and they, they definitely
5: the were. They definitely definitely were. So I mean, I, I, it's very sobering from Kerry's point of view. I'm I'm not entirely convinced yet that. This means that Duny, say the Donegal team that were beaten in this league semi-final. I don't think Donny gave it gave it everything. I you know I, I don't think that, that, that that's as good as Donegal are and that's the gap between Dublin and Donegal if they meet in August. I think Mayo are, are definitely going to improve quite a bit from what we've seen over the last couple of months. I you know obviously Dublin were very very good yesterday, and it was a very bad day for Kerry. I'm just. I would be hesitant to say I I
4: disagree. I disagree that Dublin were very, very good yesterday. I I, I think that Dublin left, there was a lot left in the tank yesterday. And there was a a vast period of that game that Dublin were rank. Absolutely rank. For 20 20 minutes. Uh, The sloppiness, the giving the ball away. I mean, imagine if they tidied that up. You know where, where are you? Well,
5: they don't. They, they yesterday they didn't have to tidy it up. Yeah. You know, and I I think that you can you can make that point in their defence that for all that Kerry were 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 coming back at them, they actually never even got level. No. In the second half, when Dublin were playing badly, they they didn't even get the the oxygen that getting level or getting a point up. You know, would have given yeah. them. Dublin didn't even allow that.
1: Yeah, and if you're looking for like gaps in their armoury to think how are they going to be taken down in the summer, like it's that kind of thing that you have seen before where they maybe idle in front like a, a good yeah. thoroughbred yeah. racehorse. They idle in front. Like Mayo came back to them into the drawing game last year and they were a Mikey Sweeney block shot away from beating Dublin that game. So, so Dublin have that tendency <laughs> as well that they can get sloppy. Sometimes when they're on top too much, some of their players who are more individualistic try to do their own oh, thing. Con- Connolly in the first
0: half yeah. was ridiculous. Yeah. So he's all try try to chip one over the bar from the ground. He's trying all this yeah. stuff where yeah, you know, it's, it's 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 how he plays, yeah. but it looks ridiculous when it's when it when it's just really will you do that the next day uh, yeah I doubt it yeah. but if three or four
1: things sloppy happen in a row in the space of two minutes that gives momentum back to a team and that's maybe the way Mayo got into that back into that game last year and then Mayo got that momentum coming from midfield with Shane O'Shea and Aidan O'Shea and that's why they got, they got the run in Dublin towards the end to come back into the game and uh, Kerry weren't able to capitalise on that gap in yesterday in that third quarter they weren't able to get the momentum back in midfield because Fenton in fairness kept his performance pretty steady throughout the middle of that game even when they were sloppy in mm. that third quarter so Moran couldn't get on the ball and couldn't drive it forward from there so uh, no, like there is gaps in their armoury if, t- if teams are good enough to take advantage of them the other thing that uh, someone will probably need this year is a really good tactical performance from the management uh, like this kind of this team Dublin team at the moment was similar to the one two years ago uh, when Jim McGuinness came along with an amazing tactical performance and beat them in the All Ireland semi final. So there is some some things, but you really have to be on on your game on the day you play them. You can't be like Kerry where yesterday saying uh, not up to scratch.
0: We mentioned Donny. I said do you want to come in there.
4: No, I was just going to say you mentioned about you know uh, Dublin maybe being s- slightly off at times or mm. uh, you know Kerry getting back into the game. But even when when Dublin were sloppy. Kerry went down the field, and they did have no. There was no creativity. There was no such thing. Anything that happened was all individualistic. It was Cooper who looked big time up for a yesterday and give Fillingman a run around at times, but he just had nobody there to support him whatsoever. Donahue, uh his name's come up a couple of times, and oh, and what is <laughs> what, what, uh, what is the Dublin
5: people's problem with Kieran Donaghy? I mean, it appears to me that there's. That there's a hate campaign being led <laughs> by by you, you by you <laughs> also, against you and one, others like you against
0: one of the more timid souls in the GA. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I found Donny's performance interesting yesterday. He just he to me he couldn't quite time his tackles correctly. It was as though he was just a fraction late and a fraction over physical on a few <laughs> players running through. But funny enough, he he did come up. His name did come up after the game. And Fitzmaurice seemed really annoyed that he said, "Look, when we do put him in there on the edge of the square, he just gets failed. He just gets beaten from pillar to post." And the refs don't do anything about it and we never get freeze out of it it's annoying uh, but we know that that's the way it is well
1: I wouldn't say they never get freeze like, I remember the Mio game he, yeah, two years ago mm. where he got plenty of soft Ger- freeze Ger- so.
5: will be uh, he will have uh, been spitting into his <laughs> cornflakes reading that this morning I would have thought
1: the one thing is though like refs do have different interpretations about how big men get tackled inside in the square if you have for example the likes of Bernard <sighs> Brogan making a run he's not looking to engage his man but he gets a pull that's going to be a free because Brogan hasn't engaged Donna, he does engage, so there's always going to be wrestling when he's in there when he's involved. So it's then the interpretation of the ref, but how much wrestling is going on and who is actually breaching or yeah. who's doing a little too mm-hmm. much. Yesterday there was a couple of occasions, yes, where I thought that. The arm was over his shoulder, mm. keeping him down the ground. And if you're engaged with him, yeah, you can kind of use your backside right, to move him out of the way. But time you put your arm in over over his shoulder and stop him from jumping, I think that is a free. Uh, there maybe was a couple of occasions of like that yesterday. If you, th- want a,
4: if you want a definite free as a corner forward, you have to get some separation. Because if you get some separation, chances are he might be pulling your jersey, or holding on to your jersey. At that stage, the referee looks down the field. And always make the run over and back across the field because the referee will see it then. Because you're making that run straight out he can have a whole your jersey, but I mean,
5: Aiden O'Shea. I mean, Mayo have made similar points about Aidan O'Shea in the past. I mean, I think it is just a uh, no. I agree with that. That's you. the curse. There of was them. one
4: stage at Jaster where Donaghy was completely hauled to ground by two men, and should it, Kerry should have had yeah. a penalty. Well, we talked about this with because um, it's
0: Michael Murphy actually only a few weeks ago, and O'Shea is another one uh, because didn't Galler Gallagher talk about uh, about Michael Murphy yeah, not getting, getting freezing and being? And you made the point that well, actually Murphy maybe needs to. Rein in his game a little bit, he can leave some of the tough stuff to the other players, and and actually just concentrate on playing his own football. With Donaghy, is that even possible? I mean, Donaghy's game is so ingrained with the physical. He he is that guy. He is that option. That it's hard for me to see how he actually well, changes it's, it's how It's interesting
5: because Fitzmaurice actually said mm. that he played him out in the middle of uh, you know in parts during during this league just so he could play a bit of football. Yeah. I mean, I think and I think that that is what happens with Michael Murphy. Uh, and Aiden O'Shea is just better out the field anyway. But I mean, I do actually think that those guys would get so disillusioned with the sport if they had to play at 14 all of the time. If the, if you just put them at like under, uh, you know, in the 14 yard box all the time, the sport would quickly become unplayable for these guys. Yeah. And as a result, Murphy and Kieran Donny just to even just for their own uh, like peace of mind, go out the field, try and get on the ball, and just say I'm having an impact on the game. At least out here, that I can't have inside because it it, it the game gets shrunk to, you know, catching sixty-yard uh, diagonal balls. Well, I think
4: one of the reasons why Donaghy went in full forward yesterday was um, the reverse of that was that um, his man was doing so much damage going the opposite direction, and they needed to try and quell that. What do you do? You put Donaghy in in the edge of the square. Kerry, uh, I've got a problem in that whenever they see him at the edge of the square, there's this tendency to lump the ball mm-hmm. into him. Mm-hmm. Now, if they could pass the ball in a little bit more, if they could have that diagonal where, you, where he can get that separation away from uh, from his marker or markers. And again, he needs somebody in under him. Darren, Darren O'Sullivan is not a natural corner forward. He's probably more a half forward you got James O'Donoghue or Cooper in alongside him who are able to sniff out those chances, see where he's landing, you know, he's able to shuffle the ball off to him, but Kerry just couldn't get enough players forward, you know, in order to help him yesterday, and as a result of that, you know, it, it, at that stage he could have been taken off because he was He's null and void in there if he's not getting any support.
1: Yeah, there's a small change in I think technique the way he plays that I I would like to see him do. Uh, when he first came to the scene back in the middle of the last decade, like he was very lateral, he was over and back, he was constantly moving. I remember like David Heaney running after him on I Ireland fine left and right, couldn't keep up with him. Uh, he as time went on, he became a little more predictable. He wasn't moving as much. In fairness, he put on a bit of weight. Uh, but this winter now, in fairness, because he has gone back out the middle and because he's obviously uh, trained very well over the winter, he has looked a lot slimmer. So, I think if he was able to develop his technique of that moving left and right, getting the separation, like Oshin says, rather than just standing still, because when you stand still, you are going to be engaged and you're not going to get those frees. But if you are moving left and right, you're creating a different landing space for the ball, first of all, from people looking in, but also that the, the defenders don't know where it's going to be landed. They won't be, like, be able to stay right in one place and have people in, cover them. In front. Sounds
4: weird, but in the provincial ground, you'll get away with Kieran Donaghy midfield and Crook Park. Unfortunately, you're no, not. No, even
0: though he is looking fitter. Them, I,
4: I I wouldn't think so. No, not for example against the likes of Dublin, certainly. Not. Right. No, and even and that is allied with that. That's what Kerry getting players back into their own defence. Okay. Are we writing Kerry off at, um, at the end of April?
1: No, certainly not. No, they, I think they'll no, definitely, they'll definitely have, be in the semi-final. Yeah. will right. have Players to come back in though as well. Like Paul Gainey still has to come back. James Dunne still has to come back. They'll have to get. They'll have to possibly go back to the way they played against Tony Gaol. They are in final two years ago. They're going to have to get tactically very defensive. I think to stop that Dublin team. And
5: I, I think as well that if someone else beats Dublin. Kerry are well capable of of winning in Ireland but I (laughs) I don't see I I think Mayo and I think Donegal both have a chance of of beating Dublin and see the thing is right you can actually just get completely wowed by what happened yesterday but this Kerry team have a thing about Dublin now and you can see at the end end of the game yesterday Brian Sheehan this is 30 seconds after the the final whistle still shouting at Paul Flynn Mm. Kerry are annoyed Kerry are extremely annoyed at how Dublin can beat them at their will now because it wouldn't have gone on how, notice uh, how Dublin played in the third quarter either you know it's not like uh, you know Kerry are going to remember that uh, Kerry will have realised that they had chances to win yeah. that game and still have lost by double digits
4: and they'll remember the, the, the keepy ball the keep ball towards yep. the end of the yeah. game with the, I mean yep. there's nothing more infuriating <laughs> at the end of the game yep. we, Kerry did that in us one year and, and I never forgot it.
5: yeah but I mean, it's, it, I mean that's the right they did do do the, right the right thing, to do it. you know. They uh, the right right absolutely, absolutely they, they killed the game. So I, I don't, I can't see Kerry. I, I don't think Kerry have the have the players have the have the ability to beat Dublin this year. I I don't see that. But I Mayo didn't have a management last year. Yeah, you know, like they they they, they were at war with themselves and took Dublin to a replay, and that's the Dublin team on a mission after having been beaten in the semi final last year. I I just I'm I'm not prepared to buy into it completely that it's theirs to win that no. you hand it over to them now I I I I think that Donegal are going in the right direction I mean I you know maybe if they go with Neil Ga- you know is Neil Gallagher still capable of dominating a game against Dublin in Croke Park I I don't know I mean I think that's a big question for Donegal to answer but Donegal are are there's plenty to Donegal this year I I I wouldn't give up hope on
4: it on it just If O'Shea
0: had the Sam McGuire himself in studio here he'd be handing it straight over to Jim Gavin <laughs> by the sounds of things and Stephen Cluxon
4: yeah I probably would and, and I think I think the thing about I think the thing about about Donegal and I agree you know Mayo and we can make arguments and we'll probably make arguments to be honest right till the third mm. Sunday in September and then we'll have to hand over this, uh, the cup to, to <laughs> Well Dublin, that's, that's to, usually to, how it happens to, yeah. that's yeah. the we do, we we have, do to have to play the, the entire <laughs> championship <laughs> to, yeah. to Dublin but I, I actually think Donegal need to change something now I think they need to change. I don't think they have the players to keep that high intensity game going that they have. I think they need to maybe revert back. Are they going to do that? You know, I don't know. If they turn up with that same game plan against Dublin again, Dublin obliterate them in the last 20 minutes of the game.
0: All right. Well, Shane, Carroll, great Stuff. Thanks,
4: man.
2: What are you saying? <laughs> You're just a phony, man. This is just what I admit I don't look like the athlete of the day. Supposed to look. This ain't the W. a little big this is just an act that you don't you should be an actor but brother i am bad and they know i'm bad i'll, I'll
0: never do that there
2: were two bad people one was john win and he's scared, brother and the other was ready up you can you can run around like you are a preacher and all that you want but baby i promise you i will baptize you
0: Cluxon and Jim Gavin maintained their usual icy composure at the post-match press conference. Murphy you won't be surprised to know that a league title didn't set Mm. them going too wild. Madigan Mm. Clerkin described them as looking like they were coming straight from a day in court, in fact. But Gavin did have something interesting to say about his players getting drug tested immediately after the game. We're fully supportive, or we we all fully support the initiative as in dope testing. We don't want cheats in our game, that's the first thing to say about it, but I think it could be better managed. You have amateur players immediately after games, it's not appropriate. They all want to enjoy the success or deal with losing the game. The last thing they need is somebody coming down and having an invasive procedure taking place. There's plenty of time during the week of a game to pop out to us or immediately afterwards. Every team has some recovery protocol on the day of a game, so there is opportunity to get your samples if you need them. But even today, we had four players there. Leicro is taking place outside, and they're in the dungeons of the stadium being closed off and not having access to the entertainment. It did not sit right with me. I don't know what you make of that.
5: Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean it was a good show, you know, people seem to really enjoy it. But I mean if you're if you're saying this is the time to speak about it, I mean I can understand, say, after an Iron final, but is Jim Gavin gonna really care having one Iron Final? I mean it it is you know, it is a problem for a guy after an Iron Final to have to do a drugs test. But I mean the whole idea of it is not for the convenience of the people who are being drug tested. I mean that's that's not why you drug test people. You test these people because you're to ensure the integrity of the sport it's also a
0: pretty obvious time to test somebody immediately after a game Yeah, it's not if the as you're saying if the management teams in any sport can start dictating again it's this, it's this issue that pops up in lots of different contexts about this being an amateur sport and these being amateur players but a lot of track and field athletes don't aren't at at full time a lot of them mm. are trying to hold down jobs as well and they're all getting tested quite a lot so I think it's something the GAS has to suck up there, there does seem to be this reluctance to 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 embrace everything that surrounds drug testing, the actual nitty gritty of it, yeah. while theoretically, theoretically, and players we, say, "Oh, yeah, we don't want cheats in our sport."
5: Yeah, theoretically, we're one hundred percent in favor of it, but just don't, you know, call to training or anything like, that because that's kind of annoying. Oh, uh, and don't don't get us after games either, because you know, we kind of need to catch a bus.
0: All right, since we did Thursday's podcast, last Thursday's podcast, Conor McGregor, unsurprisingly, unretired, Ken, and this morning, he has placed himself back on the UFC two hundred card there. at The Uh, Shortest retirement since LL Cool J, who hung up his mic briefly last month. We all remember this story, right? We all remember this LL Cool J story, right?
5: Um, Um, No. He had retired. Yeah,
0: musicnews.com says LL Cool J took to Twitter in an unlikely rant, which included a shocking post. Today, I officially retire from music. Thank you for the love. Stunned fans were left confused after reading the surprising tweet, which he deleted soon after. (laughs) However, he went back to Twitter hours later and revealed he was just kidding around about putting aside his music career, writing, today... I'm officially coming out of retirement and releasing a new album.
3: Well, that's comforting news.
0: Similar enough uh, shenanigans going on here with McGregor. Well, the
3: new World <laughs> Federation of the Championship. Well, we talked about him. Hello, <laughs> we talked about him on Thursday, and uh, almost immediately after we finished recording and uh, finished off that podcast, he put out a statement, quite a long and. Uh, sort of emotional statement at times, where he's he explaining misogynistic
5: as well. Let's not forget that
3: misogynistic. Oh, her, do you mean some a reference to the little tight ass of the? Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe, that, yeah, that could be misogynistic, I suppose. Uh,
0: well, quite clearly is, but anyway, what, what have we got today?
3: Uh, well, where are we? Uh, so yeah, I'm just trying to do my job. Blah blah. And so basically, his his um, it turned out that his reason for kind of this apparent fallout was exactly the same as the reason that had been given by Dana White, which is that he didn't want to do the promotional stuff, and he he wasn't sooner and he thought well there was a kind of a slightly um, slightly plaintive, self pitying tone to some of it, um, because he was it was kind of special pleading. He was like yeah I'll always I'll always play the game, play it better than anybody, but just for this one where I'm coming off a loss, I ask for some leeway. I I simply wanted a slight adjustment. I feel the 400 million I've generated for the company in my last three events is enough to get me this slight leeway. If uh, they feel I haven't deserved to sit this promotion run out this one time, well, then I don't know what to say. Um, So he's kind of pleading for special treatment, Mm -hmm. which he should get (laughs) because their entire business model is based on special treatment for, you know, it's based on, on treating some people. You know, some animals are more equal than others in the UFC. It's not a case of, oh, yeah, you know, everyone has to abide by the same rules. They blatantly don't. So why shouldn't they get special treatment for this? I I don't really understand. Evidently, there's there's something going on here whereby they've decided, no, they can't. Whether it's you know whether he's asking for too much, mo- I mean, I, I I imagine that's definitely part of the tension. Or
0: they're both on the same him sheet and have been all along and are playing
3: us all for this suckers. This is all just like complete, just total. Yeah, it's like a storyline, like,
0: like in wrestling, it's sort of a storyline. Maybe so that they decide they decided a few weeks ago. Listen, rather than you doing every single press conference, you, that's probably true. He doesn't want to do all this kind of stuff. No, but they have a chat where they they say, well, rather than you doing all that, why don't we why don't we concoct something here? Um, could be a little bit more dramatic, a little bit different. Could have been McGregor's idea, I don't know. And we'll go to war a little bit and get people talking a lot more about this than they have previously. Is it that ridiculous? You're kind of charged, right. No,
5: absolutely not. It I mean, it's much more entertaining than Dana White standing at a press conference and saying, oh yeah, Connor's training, but he'll be at the next press conference. Also, it doesn't make the UFC, or it doesn't make uh, Nate Diaz hate the UFC and uh, Conor McGregor even more than he does already. Uh, well, maybe, well, maybe it does, but... Maybe it's easier for Dana White to explain to Nate Diaz uh, why Don't Cameron isn't. Care. Don't how much he
0: cares about what Nate Diaz thinks.
3: But what's happened? What's happened since? Then, and, and then McGregor, you know, that was on back on Thursday. I've got my bills paid, my money made, and the entire game slayed. #Hashtag Your Move. That was him standing on like the streets of Reykjavik, wearing a tracksuit and a sheepskin coat. Of course, he doesn't really have his bills paid, not unless he still wants to be wearing that sheepskin coat when he's fifty, the same one. So. He's got that sort of spender, <laughs> you know. Actually, everybody knows that he's going to need to go back to the well at some point and make some, make some more money. Unless you know, it's a radical change of life that he's looking at. I mean, this was the interesting thing about his his uh, his statement was that he actually talked a lot about, for the first time I've ever heard him talk about mistakes that he'd made. Yeah, he'd cocked everything up. His his training wasn't right, and he, was, he needed to fix that. And also, the first kind of acknowledgement that. Uh, this type of constant sort of promotion and kind of nonsense is taking him away from his training and resulted in, you know, poor performance. And previously he would never have said anything like that. Previously it was all, this is all part of the game. It's just another discipline. You know, there's boxing, grappling, uh, kickboxing, media. He's actually said that kind of stuff before. Now it's like, well, obviously this is totally extraneous to the game and actually having to do it is draining my power and my ability to, to do what I'm doing and that's that's a kind of an interesting departure for him because previously anything sort of negative like that he just wouldn't have even expressed it you know what I mean it's it's kind of this weird uh, you know law of attraction stuff that he goes on with it's like you can't say anything negative or you, you don't even think those things thinking negative things is only more likely to make them happen so you just ignore them or yeah. you, you don't even you don't even allow them room in your brain anyway so so that was all back on Thursday but today uh, or, or, kind of early this morning, he puts up uh, a tweet saying, Happy to announce that I am back on UFC 200. Shout out to at Dana White and at Lorenzo Fortita on getting this one done for the fans. Hashtag respect. <sighs> There's no confirmation from them Not as we that we this record, has happened. Anyway. No, uh, I mean, bearing in mind the time difference, it's about six in the morning where they all are in Las Vegas. So they may get up and say, What's what's going on here? I mean, there isn't any, you know, there isn't any any sign that, in fact, they have had some kind of negotiation or reached some kind of compromise deal. So, in that case, it may just be McGregor kind of saying, "Oh, look, you know, I'm, you know, trying to put on pressure." Although I don't know how that would work. I mean, this is this is beyond sort of logic. I mean, what you say about it just all being a made up made up box that could well be the case. Um, or it could be you know he thinks that I'll put a bit of pressure on and show everyone how much they how much everyone wants this, and then you know they'll put me back in. But I hardly think that they're more likely to if they've already decided to make a point of leaving him out and saying no you can't you know you can't talk to us like that, you can't uh, you know get this sort of special dream you have to toe the line. If they've already decided to make that point, I don't see how they're suddenly going to backtrack, you know because he's put pressure on them in public as though as though he's now bullied them into. Yeah. U turn. I I I don't know how how that works, but you know, I feel as though my information is incomplete. (laughs) On I feel my information is is lacking. I only know a couple of tiny bits of information, and it's not enough to really tell you what's happening. Well, what I
0: would say is that from now on, people are reporting on anything to do with Conor McGregor rather than reporting things as fact. Conor McGregor has retired. Conor McGregor is back in such and such a fight. It's. Conor McGregor has tweeted the following. Yeah, it's, yeah. Like, let's just let's just report him as having said something as opposed to...
3: The, I mean, the one thing know. I would say about that, your, your your idea that maybe this is all just kind of concocted... Yeah, um, a
0: media strategy.
3: It's a high-stakes kind of way to do things, though, isn't it? I mean, it's a there's a certain loss of credibility involved in tweeting things which turn out not to be true.
0: Well, the argument that McGregor would have is that it gets everyone, people are talking about this fight more than they would have been if this he had just time. done his bunch this, of... Yeah. This
3: time. But you know, he's already tweeted, I'm, re- I'm retired, and then two days later, well, I'm not actually retired. Now if it's, I'm back on the card, and then it's like, you're not back on the card. It's kind of like, well, Sorry, but what, what is wrong with you? Oh, yeah. Well, no, <laughs> like, what is actually wrong he, with you? Like, he's
0: succeeding in pissing the real anti-Conor McGregor people off uh, quite a lot. You know, and uh, people are getting fed up with it, and the amount of complaints about him clogging up timelines and maybe clogging up podcasts like this, Ken, yeah. uh, are pretty strong. But I think I don't think he's going to lose any of his me- ridiculous amount of fans based on
3: Oh, no, he's, he's, his, he's his on numbers. I'm I mean, just looking at the numbers. His numbers are exploding all the time. But the credibility, if you keep tweeting things which turn out not to be true, then eventually people are like, oh, here's this guy again who's tweeting another probably untrue thing. Big drug story
0: in the Premier League over the weekend is covered in today's Irish Times second captain's football podcast.
1: That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really.
2: France are going to the World Cup. Get over it. This fellow, Ronaldo, is a cop.
4: Boom, 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 foul. Boom, 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 yellow card.
2: Ah, that's actually a boner, sir. i have to ask you to mind your language. And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Good luck I don't draw teacups. It's not my style. I think i a rather on punches. What you doing down here, you shawney man? Yeah,
3: and as you mentioned, we talked about the uh, uh, doping uh, positive for Mamadou Sacco uh, with Tony Barrett. It was at Anfield over the weekend uh, hearing what Liverpool... How Liverpool have taken that news and what they might be prepared to do. We're also going to talk to John Bruin, who... It was at both FA Cup semi-finals at Wembley over the weekend, um, and now gets to go back and see Manchester United against Crystal Palace in a replay of the 1990 FA FI Cup final that he was at, I oh, as a as a little lad. And. And. What oh forgetting? yeah, yeah. We've also got some FA Cup goals. There was a couple of Ken's
0: goals. I would say. Probably the most entertaining segment. It was uh, to
3: be honest. It was very, very good. A lot shorter. Well. I
0: mean, it was. I think the first. thing was. It was about was an hour secret. long. Yeah, you know, it's, we're, we're keeping them tight. <laughs>
5: well, I mean, it was the third round. I mean, you would think that the FA Cup semi-final ghouls <laughs> is going to be a lot shorter than the third round ghouls. Earlier
0: this year, Munster's professional game board announced the creation of a director of rugby position from next season. Whoever was going to fill it was going to be handed the task of. I just stopping the decline in the mediocrity of a former European superpower. Nice, easy brief. And the job has gone to the former South African international Johan Rassi-Erasmus, who's had a big impact apparently in coaching and also sort of high performance, putting in structures in place in his home country with South Africa and with a couple of the big clubs over there. Craig Ray is ready to go. Craig, this is being reported here as quite a coup for Munster. Do you think it is?
2: Well, he's a great rugby man Rassi-Erasmus. He, he's one of the men who's innovative. He, he really has... Uh, changed things around it, at the places he's been. He, he took the Free State Cheaters from pretty much everyone's favorite second team but never won anything to, to winning um, the Curry Cup in 2005, beating the Mighty Bulls who were starting an empire then with Heineken Meier and Victor Matfield, Faridu Priya, Bucky's Buerta, that generation of players. And they, they beat them at Loftus and they defended the title the next year. Um, you know, And he, he took meager resources. He turned them into a clever outfit. If they were out scrummed, he would find ways to make sure that the scrums uh, you know, didn't uh, weren't, didn't become a factor in the game. He had famously used to sit on the roof of the pre State Stadium, flashing red lights and yellow lights and green lights to his staff down below, who knew what these signals meant. And I'm not too sure how much innovation went into that, but it, uh, it was quite uh, different at the time. And yeah, he's a deep thinker about the game. He's come up with a, a software system that he's developed through the years. He's been at South African rugby called Footprint it basically measures and traces young players from schoolboy level right up. So, so now it's been in existence for about three or four years. So South Africa is starting to track players from 15 years old. They can go back to their data uh, way back when. So in, in about five or six years' time, you're going to have uh, you know, data packs from players from when they're 15 to the age of 30. And that kind of information is massive. So he's, he's always thinking and always uh, innovating and trying to, to have an edge over the opposition.
0: Yeah, sounds good so far. I mean, that that I wanted to find out a little bit more about what exactly he does with the Springboks, with South Africa. Is that does that software development, that tracking of young players? Is that his main focus, or how heavily involved has he been in recent times, say, with the World Cup team that got to the semi-final last year?
2: No, he, he, when it comes to hands-on direction of the Springboks day today under Heineken May, he wasn't too involved. They they, they started out here in Heineken in two thousand and twelve. They, 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 I remember clearly they did a joint. Uh, presentation to the media about what what the the Springboks would look like, what they were trying to aim for. But the two of them never quite gelled as a team. And and that's one thing about Erasmus. He's quite a prickly character, and he seems to have um, uh, uh, a situation where he falls out occasionally with other coaches, because he's quite a strong-willed character. He wants it his way. And obviously, in the Springboks setup, up Heine wanted it his way, and they didn't quite see eye-to-eye. But as as a director of rugby, as a high-performance director at SA Rugby, he has to come through with a a model of play, a style of play that suits the Springboks. It's sympathetic, I suppose you could say, to South African rugby. And they're trying to standardise that across all teams from um, the under-16 Grant Como week, which are schoolboy provincial rugby players playing under-16 week, into the under-18 Craven week, and then beyond into the under-20 provincial championship, and then further into the national team, the junior Springboks, and all the way through. And so... His job has been trying to upskill and standardise and come up with programmes that all these young players who are brought into the South African squads from a young age are, are sort of developing in the same way. Because when they all go back to their, their separate unions, obviously they're influenced by different coaches, different techniques there. But from a national point of view in South Africa, he's trying to um, standardise the way we approach rugby. So that's been his role. He set up a, a thing called the Mobi Unit, which is not a very clever name, but it essentially employed, Haneke Mayer had a lot of coaching staff. At one stage he had 20 management, that's physios and doctors and everything else, but but he had a lot of specialist coaches. Peter de Villiers, the former French pop, who was the, for, the the scrumming coach. He had Louis Kuhn, the former Springbok fly-off, as the kicking coach. Sean Rue, a former Stormers player who was a who was a was an analyst, and, and so on, and the list goes on. And and what Erasmus did was form a Moby unit with these guys, and others such as John McFarland, who was the Bok defence coach, and, and Jan van Kran, the Bok fours coach under Haneke Mayer. Worked with the provinces when they weren't on springbok duty. So these guys would go around and do defense, uh, for instance, in the preseason with the Cheetahs. And, and they worked successfully. In fact, in 2013, the Moby unit took the Cheetahs and sorted out their defense, and they actually made the playoffs of Super Rugby for the first time, thanks to the fact that they could actually tackle uh, for the first time in the competition. So that's, you know, he set up this Moby unit, and that is. Uh, big assistance and it's going to help Alistair Couture because his management staff is a lot leaner. So a lot of those guys in the Moby unit which Erasmus set up will um, be seconded to the Springboks during the June series.
0: Alright, so these guys um, it's a really interesting way of doing business but the way you describe his personality here its um, and you mentioned that he butted heads uh, with Heineken Mayer how would you foresee a working relationship with Anthony Foley who is head coach at the moment but seems to be becoming more and more depowered at Munster. Would you, uh, without knowing the inner workings of what's going on at Munster, would you see uh, this guy as a, as the sort of uh, Rassi Erasmus as the kind of guy who could easily get on with a head coach working with him?
2: Look, he's a lovely guy to have a beer with. He really is a nice guy to get on with. But I think it will be simple when he's in charge. It, it will be his way or, or no way at all. So <laughs> it will it will come down to that. And I, Look, I don't think he's quite as dictatorial as I make him sound. You'll he, probably listen to opinion um and he'll have but he has very strong opinions on the game he has very strong ideas of where he wants the game to go and how he wants it to go um but he can be swayed um one of the guys that that really you know that swayed that swayed his thinking was Jacques Ninalba who's a great defense coach which Erasmus took from um the cheaters as a physio said to him look we got meager resources uh you know the game work on becoming a defence coach, upskill yourself, And Nienabe became so good that he moved with Erasmus to the Stormers and eventually became the Stormers defence coach for four years when they had the best defence in the competition. He then followed Erasmus into the structures at Saru and he'll probably follow Erasmus to Munster. So what I'm saying is, it's a long way of saying that, you know, he, he wants things done his way, but he's quite willing to let people grow under him as well.
0: Interesting then, Nienabe, I heard his name pop up today. You think he will follow... Uh you will follow Rasmus. Anybody else that he might bring in as part of a backroom team there?
2: No, I'm not too sure about anyone else. I'm almost positive or 100% sure that, you know, through my contacts, I've heard that Ninoba is going to go okay. uh, within two months. That won't be announced today either. Though. Uh, it's one of the things that won't be announced. When those those details of the backroom staff will obviously be finalized over the next uh, couple of weeks, I suppose. But uh, Ninobe is a really good acquisition. In fact, I, I'm a bit worried for the Springboks. This is the defence coach that's been lost to the system Uh, in South Africa. He really is uh, one of the best in the business. and You only have to go look at the Stormers' defensive record between 2010 and 2013 to see how good they
0: were under Ninova. Why yeah, why do you think it is happening that South Africa are letting these guys go? It sounds like we're talking about some one serious think about the game a guy who puts a lot of the structures in place that helps South African rugby and another one of the best coaches uh, that you're talking about and they're both going to be let go to not just let go but let go to a club team in Europe who may not even be in the Champions Cup next year. How have the Springboks how South Africa should say let this happen.
2: I suppose there's two answers to that. One is that Erasmus wanted the Springbok job he was keen on getting the job, and he didn't get it, so he probably felt a little bit undermined in South African rugby, so that might be one reason he's going. The other reason, of course, is, is a simple economic one. The RAND is so weak at the moment, I'm not sure what Munster are paying Erasmus, but anything in Euro, uh, I'm sure it's going to be a lot more than he's earning as a as a high-performance director at SA Rugby, so I would imagine those two things combined. He's got, he's got twin girls who are about 12, and he's got a younger son, and you know, they're at school, and you know, and the political situation in South Africa is quite uh, in flux at the moment. So, you know, maybe he's just decided that it's a good opportunity to grow his family outside of out of South, South Africa for a while. And You know, that is a big lure. Uh, you, can't, you can't deny that money is a big factor in, in these decisions as well.
0: The political situation, you mean in the country as a whole or within South African rugby?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, as a whole, I, I mean, I don't know how much I'm not saying we're on the brink of revolution, but there's a lot of uh, goings on with the president who is. Um, you know was uh, wrapped over the knuckles by the constitutional court, and you know he 's been sort of uh, stealing money from the taxpayer essentially is what the constitutional court said, and he has to pay it back and that 's created a bit of political instability and political infighting so um you know it 's hardly like we 're heading down the road of revolution, but there are um, some worrying signs on the horizon, and maybe you know, those opportunities that present themselves, if you're lucky enough to get a job overseas, uh, you know, you can take it.
0: Another name that had been linked to this job, Craig, was linked by Ron O'Gara, who was writing The Examiner last month. He said, had an interesting few minutes before the Montpellier game with Jake White. It didn't take long, long for him to ask what was the story with the Munster director <laughs> of rugby position and who did I think were the leading contenders? No more was said. We both <laughs> smiled. You're, you're laughing there.
2: Well, it seems like I don't know whether Jake does it himself or gets linked you know, he's always linked to every available job in the business, isn't he? And yeah, he's quite naughty sometimes, isn't he? Jake White he he, he puts the feelers out and just to see what's going on but, you know, I have a bit of contact with him still and he seems pretty happy in Montpelier and they seem to be doing quite well so um, maybe it wasn't a serious inquiry Um, I I still think Jake White wants a a marquee test job I think that'll be his next move rather than going into another club
0: But Munster have done well
2: in getting Erasmus, uh, you think? I think so. I mean, okay. you know, he's, he's not your, uh, you know, he's not the stereotypical doer springbok forward, which is what he was, and he wasn't as a player. I mean, I don't know if you guys remember him as a player, but under Nick Mallett in the late 90s and very early 2000s, he was quite a, um, uh, uh, a freewheeling back rower who liked to flip little back passes and, you know, link up with the back line. He, you know, he wasn't your standard South African number seven who smashed through a brick wall so, you know, he's he's shown it as a player and he's shown it as a coach that he's quite innovative.
0: Craig, great to catch up with you. Thanks, Milt.
2: Cheers, guys. flame
1: hair, flame hair truth, Mr. Kennerly.
3: Mr. Mr. Every so often, I'm on the bus and I suddenly turn around to bite someone. John Hayes, I'm talking about. John Hayes. Now, I always thought that was ridiculous. He had won the victory over himself. He loved Brendan Rogers.
0: That's where it goes from. Thanks a lot, Pepe. How much do you want to give a fuck?
3: Fair to
0: say anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not.
5: Let me show you right now before you give it up.
0: Oh, a former Springmarket International who revitalized one of South Africa's top clubs and has developed software to track the progress of young players and put in structures that allow the best coaches to make the biggest impact they can on the club and international teams in South Africa. Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds like they've got a good guy.
5: Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I, I mean, I, I still think that, uh, you know, three pro, uh, pro 12 losses in a row. <laughs> we'll probably forget all of that yeah. stuff that you just said. Forget there. about
0: Foley, by the way. I'm more, more intrigued to see how he interacts with Joe Schmidt. Mm. Sounds like a person who would like to have a say in how the provinces interact with the international set. Yeah,
5: the, the first phone call where uh, Joe Schmidt lays it on the line Tell tells them uh, how it goes down over here in Ireland uh, that could be interesting
0: I was going through some LL Cool J tweets there Ken earlier on when <laughs> of I was course. looking at his own retirement and there was one predictably a few days ago rest in peace Prince forever with us sending love to your family friends and fans that was also a huge story that broke not long after we recorded our last podcast mm. were you a big Prince fan?
3: Uh, I mean everybody liked Prince I wouldn't say I was a huge Prince fan did I you mean. know go on every i mean i liked prince as much as i mean who did not like prince like, <laughs> seriously but uh i wouldn't say i was a huge fan of his were but you, that sounds like i'm i'm why I'm you why are you ragging on
5: prince i'm not you well, just, it sounds like you are so
3: you know the way you see everyone is everyone has been talking about prince and how much prince meant to them you know and i was reading those things of interest and thinking and learning learning more mm. about prince you know.
5: i think uh in future maybe people should have to publish at the start of every year a list of their current favourite uh, artists who are still alive. Oh, yeah. So yeah, that when someone dies, you can say, well, he's actually my number two, so this actually means a lot to me, as opposed to people just, you know, sort of ad hoc, oh, yeah, Prince was a, such a massive influence on my life. Mm, yeah. You know, I mean, I'm not going to say he's a massive influence on my life, but he was very, very, ta- a very, very talented musician. So I, I just think that you should, you should be able to... You have to put your cards on the table and say, right, these are the people... Who I will shed tears over, <laughs> and then when those people die, you know people that does will actually. Seem fair. That does seem fair.
3: I mean, I do think that he had a great life. I mean, it's he's died at a at a young age, but like at least he did kind of knock it out of the ballpark, you know.
0: Oh, interesting! You use a sporting analogy there, Ken, because this is what I learned about Prince that I did not know before he passed away. A hugely talented, multi-talented sports mm. person by all accounts,
5: across a number of disciplines on
0: basketball among them. Yep, Eddie Murphy's brother told this story in conjunction with Dave Chappelle in an amazing sketch. From you've you've
5: all seen the Rick James uh, Hollywood stories. You should check out the Prince Hollywood stories because it's actually really, really funny as well. Prince schooling
0: Eddie Murphy in a late night, very late night slash early morning game yep. of pick up basketball. <laughs> yeah, shirts place. versus blouses There's one a table tennis story. Apparently, played against Michael Jackson. Ken? Took Michael Um, Jackson on. Really? Yeah, Jackson famously paid this according to Slate.com, paid Prince a visit while Prince worked on Under the Cherry Moon, his ill-fated cinematic follow-up to Purple Rain. Anyway, Prince invited Jackson to play ping-pong. I don't know how to play, but I'll try, Jackson replied. Naturally, all the bystanders stopped what they were doing and watched the game. As this surely was the single most electrifying ping-pong match ever, an eyewitness, as eyewitnesses later recounted, it started with some soft hits back and forth. Then Prince said, come on, Michael, get into it. Then Prince taunted MJ again. You want me to slam it? Said Prince. What Happened Next represents the most iconic moment in the history of sporting events between 80s musical icons. Jackson dropped his paddle and Prince slammed the ping pong ball into MJ's crotch.
5: That was it. So basically, uh, yeah, it's it's a total mismatch. Uh, There was, uh, he's also a a pool shark by all accounts, Prince. Uh, Questlove was revealing, uh, uh, actually, no, it it was before he died, actually. It was January of this year. Questlove told the story of a party that he threw for Prince. Prince had two requests, good music and a pool table. Uh, so Prince is absolutely killing it on the pool table Questlove was trying to play brilliant tunes that would impress Prince <laughs> uh, after a while Prince came up and said yeah, lose that record uh, so Questlove said oh, it's probably just a song and yeah. kept going with the same uh, John, same artist said, Okay. Uh, Prince came over again no it's not for me and then he tried again Prince is like this isn't, this isn't working out so eventually Prince's assistant came over handed him a CD and said just put that on it was an unmarked DVD case put it on it was the finding nemo soundtrack and uh <laughs> Brits was so quest was like oh do you want one song yeah, no just play the just play the the full album that would be fine so uh yeah i mean soothing backing uh, well i mean it's uh, good, good i i i don't know would you believe i've never seen finding nemo
3: again really i have seen it it's it's very good but uh i can't remember the soundtrack so you check that out
0: back yourself go on put on the record the musicians who you love, who are alive, who you will shed a tear for if they die. Uh
4: God. doesn't have to
0: be a musician, but I'm, I'm being careful to couches in such a way that we're not talking about anybody close to you. Or... Okay, Bob
5: Dylan. Right, okay. Right, okay. If, if Bob if Bob Dylan dies tomorrow, I am I might even send out a tweet about it. Ken? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. It's just
0: one, is it? No, it's no. I'll let Ken think about it, yeah. Maybe
5: three. Uh, uh, oh, the boss. I mean, I, I literally sound like a bank manager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bob Dylan and Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. Dar <laughs> no don't, I could put it on the record I wouldn't really Ken, that wouldn't really upset me
3: well oh. i i mean i i find this this a um, it's I distasteful. Don't like, isn't i don't it? like this game yeah
5: it is quite distasteful yeah, I, I mean i am I'm an, I'm only saying that now, now you I am it,
3: involved well. in mankind mm. and therefore send not to know for whom the bell tolls it tolls for <laughs> thee. <laughs>
0: Funny you mention for whom the bell tolls, Ken Metallica's second album. I'm going to go for James Hetfield, Murph. Uh, <laughs> Lars Ulrich, I'd be disappointed. And uh, Jason, you said the old bassist. That'd just be
5: tragic. Yeah, that would. Be Quite bad. here for all. Well, guys. here, listen. Can we all Current just say and former it? members of Metallica. <laughs> all for all members of Metallica listening to Bob Dylan and Bruce Springsteen. Long may you raid,
0: <laughs> all yeah. of you. All right, that's it. Thanks, Murph.
5: Thank you all. Thank you, Ken.
3: Thanks, again. Uh, thank you too. Make sure to listen
0: out for Ken's goals in our football podcast. Take care.
2: What is that? That's the second time
4: it's gone off. They
2: never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those 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 boys.